0: Well, hey, Heights family, and welcome to, I guess, what do we call this, round two of Church of the Couch. I hope you are in your spot and have already had a a great time of worship as we are right here in the middle of still—what are we? Are we in the beginning, the middle? I'm guessing it's not the end, but uh, let's hope it's at least the middle of a virus, the middle of social distancing, discouragement loneliness, frustration, uh, anxiety. You know, there are so many activities. There's so many emotions right now that really could, one could put together a good Bible study, a, a good sermon series. I mean, there's a, there's a lot here for a preacher. And, and then there's me who I'm not going to do any of that cuz I'm I'm just I'm tired of the virus. I don't want to I don't want to think about the virus. I don't want to preach about the virus. I don't I don't want anything to do with the virus anymore. I'm done with it. It's time to go to the cross. Boy, doesn't that sound like a spiritual statement? It's time to go to the cross. Actually all I mean by that is it's it's time to go to the cross. Easter's two weeks away. It's it's time to start approaching Easter. And boy, that's really what I want to do right now. And, and honestly, I think the best response to a virus, I, I think a best response to all the emotions and events going on is to anchor ourselves to what God did for you, what he did for me, at the cross, so what a what a blessed opportunity we have today, next Sunday, of course, two Sundays from now, Easter Sunday, to just pause and to think about that. You know, as 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 a preacher, you you might anticipate. I think Easter is kind of a big deal; it's a big moment. And now, in the midst of all this, you know, as I'm thinking, boy, what what is it going to look like this year to approach Easter? Uh, the first word that came to my mind was different. Uh, the second one was difficult, and i 'm literally thinking that in my office and then it dawns on me you know Jesus had to approach easter i'm i 'm guessing whatever he was dealing with was bigger than what what i 'm dealing with, so then I felt kind of small and dumb but uh you know it made me think you know how did how did Jesus approach Easter, and we don't have to to guess or or imagine. Matter of fact, we, I love a verse. I think we can read right by it. Luke nine fifty one. It says, when the days drew near for Jesus to be lifted up, that he set his face on Jerusalem. He set his face. We have phrases like that. We would say, man, they are locked Can you imagine if you were looking at something difficult, something challenging, something hard to say, man, I am resolved. I am committed. I am locked in to get there. And, and, you know, as Jesus began moving toward the cross, man, there was a battle that raged around him the entire way. You know, a lot of times in an Easter season, we're going to look at what was going on at the cross, you know, the night before, the day of, on the cross, but I've really been led to be thinking about this battle that was raging around Jesus all the way up to the cross, and just understanding, appreciating what he went through, because there was people and forces trying to keep him. I don't know if we've ever thought about it that way, trying to keep him, from getting to the cross. There was people in forces, of course, trying to put him on the cross, and all of that just raging around him, wearing on him. I mean, he is carrying that battle, but you know, he endured that. He endured that battle for you. He endured that battle for me, and boy, I think anything that you and I can do to understand more, to know more, to appreciate more, about what Jesus did, what he went through for, for you and for me. I, I think we win in that. So let's, let's kind of devote ourselves to today, next Sunday, Easter Sunday, to kind of thinking in that mindset. So today, what we're going to start with is thinking about those people, forces trying to keep Jesus from the cross. And this first one, I, I think might be a little bit of a surprise to you. And that is Satan. Did you ever think about Satan trying to keep Jesus from the cross? Now, let let me see if I can biblically explain myself here. I'm going to turn first uh, here to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those four books, that area, the Gospels, the beginning of the New Testament, Luke 4. And I'm going to begin in verse 5. Now, the context of... What I'm reading is is referred to, your matter of fact, when you get to your Bible and, and see that, it might even say out to the side, the temptation of Jesus. Jesus has been through 40 days of fasting, 40 days of prayer, no food, no water. You, you can kind of imagine he, he's weakened, he's tired, he's, he's weary, and he's coming out of that, and it's right there where Satan meets him. And begins to tempt him. Now there's three temptations. I'm not looking at that this morning. I'm just pointing to the second temptation. listen to this Luke chapter four, and I'm going to begin in verse five. It says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. Mark that word, glory. I will give you their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If the, if you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. Now, that's it. I I just read the whole temptation there, that one temptation. You didn't hear the word cross. You probably didn't hear anything about, hey, hey, I'm going to try to keep you from going to the cross. No no words like that, no idea like that. So you're probably wondering, Pastor, where do you see that? Well, hold hold on to that word glory. I'm going to see if I can connect a dot for you here. And let's go, let me go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. And this time I'm going to read verses 8 to 11, Philippians chapter 2 verses 8 to 11. And it says being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, now when you see a therefore, therefore means what I'm about to say is based on what I just said. So what did what did he just say? Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." So what what God just said there is he said to his son, because of what you did, what you accomplished, what you were ready to do on the cross, because of that, I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you a glory unparalleled in human history, unparalleled in all eternity to come. You're going to have a name and you're going to have glory because of what you did on the cross. Now go back to Luke chapter 4. What is Satan offering him? He's offering him glory. Folks, I believe when you connect those two ideas there, what you have Satan tempting him with, listen, Jesus is going to get glory either way. What Satan is tempting him with is glory without the cross. Hey, we don't have to we don't have to do this God's way. We, we We don't have to do God's will here, hey listen, we can get you the same. you want glory, I'll give you the glory, you know Satan kind of does the same thing with us, doesn't he i mean he he comes to us, he whispers in ear hey, we don't don't have to do it god's way i I can get you that. I can get you that right now. We don't have to to wait what do you what do you revenge? I can get you revenge, wealth, glory fame what what is it you want? I can get that for you right now. We, we can go around that whole way that, that God has in mind. Now, Satan's always, uh, he's a little vague on the cost. He, he, he's a little vague on how short-term his answer is. But he is tempting Jesus there with, you don't have to do the cross. I'll give you the glory. Now, what's the condition? Just worship me. You know, when, when I think of worship, I, I, I think of going to a building and singing songs with other believers, we we haven't been able to do that the last two weeks. I mean, man, I'm sure grateful for our worship arts team putting on that that time of worship and allowing us to kind of gather online. I mean, we're not in physical proximity, but think about it: thousands of us in the last few moments have had our mind focused on the Lord. We're, we're using the same words. We're singing the same songs. So we're kind of gathered together in that worship. So when Satan says, you just need to worship me, my tendency is, that, well, I've never been to a building and sang songs to Jesus. And, and yet, folks, the sad thing is we've all worshiped Satan because what Satan is talking about right here, what, what, what he's saying to Jesus is, I want you to value me and I want you to value my path over your father and over the path your father has for you. Oh, gosh, folks, we, we, we've done that. There, there, I mean, how many times have we done that? How many times have we said to Satan, I value what you can give me right now. I value the, the path that you, that you offer well, as you can tell, there's almost a whole lesson in that for us as we look at the temptation of Christ. But but just back around there, what? listen, Satan knows what Jerusalem holds for Jesus. Jesus knows what Jerusalem holds for Jesus, and what Satan is tempting him with is glory without the cross. Now, that, that would lead one to the question, why would Satan not want Jesus to go to the cross. As a matter of fact, kind of the weirdness of this idea is in your life, in my life, we've had a lot of songs, maybe even a lot of sermons that led us to believe that Friday was the moment, that, that, that good Friday, that was the moment Satan struck his blow, Satan won, but then the preacher or then the song says, but Sunday's coming. Well, that may make a good song, and it may make a good preacher. I'm not sure it's accurate. I don't think for one second Satan thought he'd won something there. Listen, whatever you and I know about the power of God, Satan knows ten times, a hundred, a 1, thousand times that much about the power of God. Satan knows about the power of God. Satan knows about the prophecies of God. Satan knows about the word of God. Satan knows what God can do. Satan knows what God is doing. So Satan didn't think, hey guys, talking to the demons, hey, we won, we beat them. I I really don't believe Satan thought that. Satan did not want the cross to happen because he knew what the cross would accomplish for you. He knew what the cross would accomplish for me. That's what he was trying to stop. That's what he wanted to keep from happening. And he had to get way out in front of the cross, not at the cross. He had to get out in front of the cross to try to stop that. You know, uh, uh, another force, another person that tried to to stop Jesus uh, was Peter. Now, Peter's not Satan. Peter's not an enemy. Peter's a, well, he's a friend, isn't he? Man, as you and I are pursuing a path of of trying to know God's will, sometimes we get challenges from enemies. Sometimes we get challenges from friends the, the passage i'm referring to i actually just used last week it's unrelated but I, I did refer to it last week mark 831 and jesus was walking down the road with the disciples and, and for the first time in 830 more in mark 831 he uh, he tells them about the cross he's going to tell them several times but this is the first time that he says hey when we get to jerusalem uh, you know here's what's going to happen Here's what this is going to look like. Here's how this is going to unfold. And it says there that that Peter pulls him aside and, and rebukes him. Now the, the the passage just said Peter rebuked him. It doesn't it doesn't tell us what Peter said. How did Peter rebuke him? But but to be honest with you, I don't think it's hard to imagine. Ha, have you ever kind of been focused, man? You you know you've been reading in God's Word, doing a study, and praying, or maybe God spoke to you while you were at at, at church one Sunday, and boy, you thought you know what God is calling me to be this. God is calling me to do this, and and man, you got. You got like Jesus locked in. You set your face to follow the will of the Lord, to obey God in that, and then and then comes a friend. And and they can say uh they can say a variety of things to us at a moment like this. You know, sometimes they'll say, you know, I you know I don't I don't think God would want that for you. You know, maybe they're kind of saying it almost out of love. They don't want to see us hurt or suffer or go through any difficulty, but, but they'll say, you know, I, I just don't think God would want that for you. Or maybe Maybe they're hey, you know, you're getting uh, getting a little fanatical. You're getting a little over the top right now. I mean, I, you have, I have, we, we've heard our friends say some discouraging remarks as, as you and I are trying to, to love the Lord, live for the Lord. Now, it, it, it might sound like at this point, I, you know, the, the thing we need to hear is, hey, you got to watch out who your friends are, be, be careful who your friends are, but then that would almost sound like Jesus wasn't careful. Was Jesus not careful in in picking Peter as a friend? You know, I, I really don't think that's the application here, Be, because well, first of all, you have I have had friends in life, uh, friends right now maybe who we know they're they're not going to encourage us spiritually. We know that, right? I, I mean. There are certain people we know, they're not going to have anything positive to say about our love for God, our life for God. And then sometimes they might even have some very derogatory things to say, not actually talking about them right now. And I think the scripture would actually warn very strongly, you and me, about those kinds of friends. We really need to be mindful of the influence they're having in our lives. But the friend I see this kind of having us stop and think about This is hard. (laughs) It's the friend I go to church with. It's the friend that I I sit in Bible study with. You know, folks, it'd be nice if, you know, hey, we go to the same building for church. We sit in the same Bible study so I can just trust anything they say without a filter. But that's not the case. And it's not a warning to not listen to anybody. Boy, the Bible actually challenges, encourages you and me to have people pray for us, to get wise counsel. When it's saying get wise counsel, it means that you and I take what we think the Lord is leading us to do, impressing on our hearts, and, and we have others pray for that. We bounce that off of others. Uh, we want to hear, am I thinking right? Am I understanding right? Sometimes we need a friend to say, hey, you know, you seem to be on a tangent there. You seem to be veering off there in, in how you're describing the Lord or what he's calling you to do. I, I mean, we need friends like that, but you say, well, then how do I know? How do I know if a friend is leading me astray or, or if he's actually saying something I need to hear? Well, I can look at what Jesus said to Peter. He said, hey, Peter, you're looking at this through man's eyes. You're looking at this from man's perspective instead of through God's eyes and, and God's perspective. And so as I listen to friends challenge me, encourage me, discourage me, I think here's the question. Are they driving me to God? Are they Are they driving me to His Word? Are they making me think about who God is, what God has said, or do they? Is their advice, their challenge, more about what they think, how I should think, how the world thinks? I mean, unfortunately, we can, we can do that to each other. Uh, obviously, uh, Jesus was able to handle it. And he said, whoa, Peter, that's not, you didn't get that from God. That sounds a lot like what the world would say. That sounds a lot like what people would say. And, and so Jesus handled that well. Isn't that nice of me to tell say that Jesus handled that well? <laughs> but, but you know, folks, think about what we've just witnessed now with two things. Jesus has what? Set his face, his resolve on Jerusalem. He's had an enemy come and attack that. He's had a friend come and challenge that. And I'm not implying that these two things are the only two things. On his entire journey, he was being challenged. He was being battled. And you know what? You just get weary. Even if you're successful, even if you're resisting, even if you're winning, it gets weary being in a battle. And he was constantly in a battle as he set his face as he set his resolve on the way to the cross, and I think, as we come into the Garden of Gethsemane, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that weariness when Jesus prays that that very i almost want to say famous prayer i I, I think a lot of people know this prayer even even if they don't know much about the bible they're they're familiar that somewhere Jesus prayed something like you know father if it if it would be your will." could this cup pass from me? Yet, yet not my will, Lord. I, I want what, I want what you want. You know, to understand what is going on there, we have to, we have to think about Jesus being 100% God and 100% man. And that's difficult for us. That That is a that's a, It's very difficult for us to see Jesus being both of those things exactly and fully at, this, at the same time. So we tend to, depending on the story or the thought, we tend to lean one way or the other. Probably most of the time, you and I lean toward, we tend toward only seeing Jesus as God. But, but he was 100% human. He grew tired. I mean, think about it. The Bible says that God never sleeps or slumbers. God never gets tired. God never gets worn out. God never says, hey, could you just let me have 20 minutes to take a nap? Never, never in all of eternity. And yet the gospel story tells us that Jesus got tired. That's the the humanity of Jesus. And he came into the garden and he has been battling. He's been battling for for years, friends, enemies. He's battling. And, And as he gets weary, his own human nature his own human nature boils up there and says, hey, hey, hey God, is there a way not to do this? <laughs> Am I suggesting there that in Jesus' humanity, he didn't want to do the will of God? Well, no, I wouldn't say that. But, it, but then, yeah, maybe I kind of would. I think Jesus was resolved, committed to do the will of God. But want? Want to do the will? I mean, does somebody want to be beaten and spit on? Does somebody want to hang naked on a cross? Does somebody want to be separated from the most loving relationship there is? You know, I, I think often that's a part of the whole cross that that we grasp, that we understand the least. And, and that's what happened between the Father and Son. What happened in the Trinity in that moment on the cross when the when the sin of the world was placed on Jesus and the father had to turn away when when jesus would experience physical death and and death is never defined in scripture as a cessation of existence we don't we don't stop being when we die we're still very much being we're just now separated from God, if if we're lost, if we're unsaved, and I mean, I wouldn't use the term lost or unsaved with Jesus, but He entered death with all the sin of the world on Him. So that's the feeling that He has, and as He looks out to that, I I think there's almost an anxiety, a heaviness, a a wearisome about about facing that. I don't think we have a clue what all was going on there. I mean, you and I can say, boy, I miss somebody. I miss being with somebody. Boy, I really can't wait to be back together. That is a million miles from Jesus in that Garden of Gethsemane, thinking about being separated from the most beautiful, the most passionate, the most pure, the most righteous, the most fulfilling relationship that has been enjoyed for all of eternity. And by the cross, there's going to be a schism in that relationship for a moment. All that endured for you. So, so Jesus' own human nature rises up in that moment and says, hey, Father, is there another way? But you know, that, that sentence isn't even finished before Jesus says, no, 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 I want what you want. Do you see him fighting there? Do you see him battling? And it's for you. You know, as I consider this first part of, of what we're going to look at on our way up to Easter, this this part where, where we're dealing with forces, people that wanted to keep Jesus from the cross, there's two things that, that, that come to my mind. One is it, it can be hard to do God's will. I mean, you, you and I should understand that. We should anticipate that. Hey, listen, there's parts of God's will for our lives that are fun, that are fulfilling, that there's laughter, that there is joy, that there is there is peace. But God will call you and I to be things, to do things in a world that is absolutely antagonistic to Him. So logically this totally makes sense if I'm doing the will of God it's there's places that's going to be difficult there's places where that is going to be a battle and boy as I just look at the life of Christ I think man am I really aware of what of what is impacting my resolve friends enemies my own human nature how am I handling that how am I praying about that But the second thing this this today's stories, today's understanding of Christ really leads me to think is man, Jesus fought for me. Jesus fought for you. His love fought for you. And and as I think about that, as I as I want to appreciate that, I can't help but think, man, does does my love fight for Christ? Do I fight to love Him? Do I, do I fight to obey Him? Or, or where there's a moment of difficulty or inconvenience or I just don't really want to be seen that way, do we just roll over and quit? Is, is there a fight in my love for Christ? You know, actually, next Sunday, Easter Sunday, I'm going to end both of those messages thinking about this, kind of elaborating on it a little bit more. So I, I want to stop right now. And just kind of leave you with that thought. Pray about that this week. Think about that this week. Maybe maybe talk about it with somebody this week, of, of, of course, in a group of 10 or less. <laughs> but talk with somebody. Hey, what do you think it means to have a love that fights for Christ? Man, he sure, he sure fought for you. Let's pray. Hey, Jesus, thank you. I I, I pray I am ever growing in my understanding, ever growing in my appreciation of, of all that you did for me and how you fought for me. And Lord, I pray through your Holy Spirit, you would guide me, you would help me to have a love that fights for you. Help all of us. Lord, I pray all week long, we're thinking, we're thinking about how we have a love that fights for you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, I want to thank you all for being with us again, worshiping together with our worship team. You've heard from several of our staff about ways to get involved in the church here through giving, ways to get involved in through the church and serving. Man, we've we've got a lot going on. We don't want the ministry to back up one bit. We don't want the gospel to slow down one bit, even even while we're quarantined, even while we're social distancing. Let us be ever vigilant in our prayers, ever vigilant in how we love and serve our Lord. I love you so much. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday.